Hi, and welcome to today's episode of The Property Pod. My name's Libby, and today I'm joined by Will from our litigation team. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about possession proceedings. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Um, So, Will, what types of legal measures can you put in place before renting a property to protect against rent arrears? Well, I think the starting point is to say that, you know, at the beginning of a tenancy, both landlord and tenant hopefully want the relationship to be successful. And in the context of rent arrears, what we're really talking about is affordability. So so to make sure that the the tenant uh, can afford the rent that's going to be charged during the course of the tenancy, um, to make sure the party is well suited in that sense. And for the landlord, it's about, I suppose, finding out more about the tenant's circumstances. Um, you, know, you have to ask all questions, go reasonably deep, you know, by asking for pay slips, looking at how long uh, the tenant's been employed for, um, what savings do they have, uh, where did they live before, um, why did they leave the property that they were at before, and um, beyond that, in practical terms, um, references, of course, you know, we're looking for references from previous landlords, evidence of uh, that rent has been paid consistently in the past. Um, and then in terms of practical protection, um, taking a deposit um, against, um, to protect the landlord financially against the effect of rent arrears in the future. Um, used to be the case in the past that an unlimited deposit could be specified, but now the law as it stands today is that five weeks rent is the maximum deposit that a landlord can take um, from a tenant at the commencement of a tenancy. Okay. And what is the best way of documenting a tenant's pattern of behaviour? Like, would something like WhatsApp work, do you think? I, I do think that. I mean, I think um, a lot of the communication will be channeled through um, the estate agent or the letting agent, rather. Uh, WhatsApp is good. Email is good. Text messages is good. Any form of communication ultimately would be admissible as evidence in court should it come to that. But the primary point, I think, is to make sure that there is continuous communication, albeit you know, friendly and professional, should never reach the point whereby the tenant is feeling harassed by the communication. But equally, it's important that each other's expectations are made clear so that um, the uh, relationship has the best chance of getting off on the right footing and proceeding on that basis too. And how do you document any late payments? So um, it's really important to keep a record of late payments because um, you know, apart from anything else, the money is contractually due but also those rent arrears might form the basis of a court application at a later stage. And the landlord doesn't want there to be any disagreement about what the level of arrears might be. Um, the most practical thing to do is to keep a running rent statement. And if in the event that the uh, arrears begin to occur, that a copy of the statement is sent to the tenant. So the tenant can see in black and white terms the precise position um, you know, of the rent statement um, at any time. And what's the best way to communicate with your tenant once um, any late payments have occurred? Again, I, I think in the first instance, it's about trying to understand the tenant's position, trying to understand what the reason for the arrears is. Uh, my experience is that sort of you know, threatening letters, demands, whilst they may have a time and a place, they're certainly not, the initial communication should be one of, you know, sorry you know to, to realize that this situation has occurred um could you offer an explanation and um there may there may be a- any sort of reason but ultimately these um situations tend to um become more complicated and more difficult if communication is poor and the issue isn't addressed at an early stage so be polite be professional try to be sympathetic and understanding of the tenant's position 
Um, usually situations of rent arrears can be corrected and are corrected, uh, you know, in the short term. So there's no need to go, you know, to be to be heavy about these situations in the first instance. Hmm. And if a tenant has stopped paying rent and there's no reasonable expectation of payment, is it possible to evict them? Yeah, I mean, we do see situations like this whereby a tenant might may unfortunately have lost their employment or haven't had a different sort of change of circumstances. And they're quite honest about the situation, so there's no reasonable expectation of rent being paid again. And in those situations, um, a landlord's hand is forced. Now, what we're talking about here for the sake of context is residential tenancies, which are usually assured shorthold tenancies. Um, the nature of those tenancies is that they cannot be ended by force. So you could never forcibly remove a tenant, uh, you know, which obviously is, is correct. Um, a, a uh, residential tenancy can only be ended by court order. So in the event that rent arrears do accrue, um, the landlord's options at that stage are to proceed to court to obtain a court order for possession. Mm. And what timescales are involved if you're looking at court action? Well, every possession claim begins with a notice. And uh, with the law as it stands at the moment, the choice of notice is between what's called a Section 8 notice and a Section 21 notice. Mm. A Section 8 notice would be served typically when there are two months of arrears of rent. That's what the court deems to be substantial arrears and grounds that entitle the landlord to possession. So if you get into a situation whereby there are two months of arrears, you can serve a Section 8 notice, which is 14 days. And once those 14 days have expired, if the rent still hasn't been paid, then an application to court can be made at that time. Section 21 is what's commonly known as the sort of no-fault ground. So if the fixed term of the tenancy has expired, you can serve two months' notice. You don't have to give a reason for why you're serving notice. And once that notice has expired, if the tenant remains in occupation at that stage, then again the application to court can be made. Timescales from there vary from court to court and have become increasingly variable throughout the COVID pandemic and now in post-pandemic times, um, timescales are um, unpredictable, uh, to say the least. Um, the position is that once you make your application to court, you should be given a hearing date within eight weeks of the application. But our recent experience is that that's not guaranteed. Mm. Once you get to court, you make your application. If you succeed, the uh, judge can allow the tenant a further six weeks in the property. So that's the maximum discretion that a judge has. But typically that is scaled back to two weeks. Uh, and judges do this because they know that the next stage can be even further prolonged, which is um, employing county court bailiffs to evict the tenant and end the tenancy in that way. Um, Timescales for that action, again, are unpredictable. So um, I think the point is that if you're a landlord and you've elected to end a tenancy, you should take action sooner rather than later, simply because the entire process could take up to six months from start to finish. And if rent isn't being paid throughout that process, then the arrears by the time you finally get possession could be very material. Hmm. And what are the costs for a possession claim? And is it possible to recover these from the tenant? Well, um, the costs depend upon the nature of the action. So there are two, there are sort of three, I suppose, so there are three typical actions that you can take. Your Section 8 claim, Section 21 claim or Section 21 accelerated possession claim. The three um, different actions attract slightly different uh, scales of costs. We um, at Atwell's offer a 
fixed fee, it's very transparent for each stage of the process. Um, and on top of those fees, which are you know, what you pay us to do the work for you, a court fee of £355 is payable. Um, in terms of what you can recover from the tenant, your solicitor should always look at the tenancy agreement to see if it includes a clause that entitles the landlord to recover costs from the tenant. Our experience is that sometimes these clauses um, are enforced by the court, um, particularly where a tenant is deemed to have acted poorly by delaying unnecessarily or frustrating the process. Um, but often the court will award simply what's called fixed costs. And those fixed costs equate to perhaps 25% of the actual costs that the landlord incurs. So this is another aspect of the decision-making process when you're trying to work out what to do with the tenancy. You know that actually beginning the possession claim process will incur some cost for you that you won't be able to recover from a third party, which is another reason why, you know, um, you should only do it if it's the final straw, if you're absolutely resolved that the tenancy has to end because the circumstances aren't going to improve. Okay. And how can a landlord um, claim back unpaid rent? Well, um, rent can be included within the claim for possession. Um, the only exception to that is what in a Section 21 accelerated claim. So you have a choice, really, um, as a landlord. You can either begin a money claim separately, so just begin a county court money claim, or you can combine your possession claim with a money claim, that money claim being the rent that's due on the date when um, the matter comes to court. The nature of rent payments is, of course, rent accounts and statements is that they go up and down, they fluctuate over time according to the passage of time and the payments that are made by the tenant over time. So when you get to court, uh, your solicitor should be asking the judge not only for possession, uh, not only for fixed costs, but also for um, a money judgment for any rent arrears that might be due, so that when the court produces its order, it will have three or four paragraphs, and one of those paragraphs will be an order requiring the tenant to repay the rent arrears that are due at the date of the court order. Um, so that's the process really by which un unpaid rent is claimed back. Um, the process of then actually recovering that money from the tenant uh, is what's called enforcing a judgment. There are a number of options available in that respect and your solicitor will advise you on what's appropriate according to the circumstances um, of the tenant at the time. And what should you do if a tenant has caused any damage to the property and how do you recover the cost for this? Well, I suppose there are two elements to this. On the question of damage, it's really important to be able to evidence the damage to show that actually the property was in a worse condition when it was handed back mm -hmm. and that the deterioration in uh, uh, condition is something more than reasonable wear and tear. It's actually you know, something like willful damage and therefore um, you need to do a proper photographic survey of the property before the tenancy commences obtain the tenant's signature to the survey so there's an agreement at the outset that this is the condition of the property on day one and then repeat the exercise at the end of the tenancy and compare the evidence one with the other I mean, you could video it you could photograph it but there needs to be you know visuals are key to this there has to be some way of actually determining the difference in condition and you know in in my experience i've seen photographic surveys that run to hundreds of photographs that will usually be inappropriate, but it needs to be something more than a dozen photographs. You need to be photographing in sufficient detail to be able to identify a material deterioration in the condition of the property. So once you've seen, once you've established the disrepair and that causal connection between the tenant's conduct and the changing condition from the start of the tenancy to the end, you then have the basis of a disrepair claim, 
which you can um, you can uh, you, you obviously would address the tenant with that claim and ask them for an explanation if the explanation was unsatisfactory then you could have a look at applying to make a deduction from the deposit or if the value of the disrepair was in excess of the deposit then that would form the basis of a separate claim so another county court claim um, situations like this you know it's always the landlord's worst concern that you know you never know what condition the property is going to be in particularly if the tenant has been in rent arrears and has been de denying the inspections which can happen at the end of tenancies but our experience is that incidences of willful damage um, are very rare and that usually properties are returned in more or less you know acceptable conditions so um, it's not the practical concern I think that landlords sometimes fear it is um, but there is a process in the event that uh, damage is caused. Mm -hmm. And are there any changes on the horizon? There are some material changes coming in the in the um, uh, in the uh, area of short short hold tenancies. Yeah, at the moment the government is passing through Parliament um, some legislation which is called the Renters Reforms uh, Renters Reform Bill, and uh, the the huge sort of change that this is going to invoke if it's passed in its current form as expected is that the Section 21 notice, so the no-fault notice that I referred to, um, will be abolished. Um, this will give tenants much greater security in the future because um, their tenancy cannot, as is the case now, simply be ended on two months' notice. Um, it's going to be a huge change in the landscape, you know, from what buy-to-let investors are used to, which is ultimately, at the moment, the position is, if for any reason they want to end the tenancy, and indeed, by definition, for no reason, they can serve a notice, and after two months, that will end the tenancy. Um, this is deemed, yeah, this has been deemed, I suppose, by um, critics of the current system to be too prejudicial towards tenants' issues. After all, we're talking about people's homes here, and often homes that people have lived in for multiple years. So the idea that um, people can be removed from those properties for no reason um, it runs sort of you know, contrary to instinct, I think, for a lot of people. Um, although it's going to be a big change to us, I'm told, sort of listening to somebody talking about it the other day, that um, in, in most other companies, countries, and certainly in Western Europe, there is no equivalent to Section 21 when you create a tenancy. The idea is that unless something goes badly wrong or if there is some practical reason for wanting to end it, it will continue. Now, the flip side of this is that the range of reasons that the landlord can rely on to get possession will be expanded. So... There'll be situations like, for example, most obvious ones, if you want to sell the property, if you want to live in the property as your own home, um, and again, if there are instances of rent arrears that are repeat, so it's lower level rent arrears, but over a longer period of time, so that the tenancy is just not a good one, then there will be new grounds upon which the landlords can take possession. So the landscape in this area is due to change quite materially um, in the future. But hopefully, you know, the object will be uh, achieved, which is to strike a fairer balance between the interests of landlords and tenants. Okay, well, that's great. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And for all you guys at home, if you did enjoy this episode, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. And we'll see you next week.